Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the Eagles are coming off a thrilling victory on the road against the L.A. Rams as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 159. At the top of this week's show we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss what we saw from the Eagles in their win over Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams. This is a team that refuses to back down and now goes into a pivotal matchup this week against the Houston Texans, a squad that Greg is extremely familiar with, so he and I will talk shop about DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watch, Davion Clowney, and the rest of that Houston team. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report, where I'll go through my notes on second-year quarterback Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson back in 2017. He was my number one quarterback in that class, a guy I thought was the safest of all the options in that group, so we'll see where he's at at this point in his development as an NFL quarterback, but before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles, that win in L.A., and how this team will match up against the Texans on Sunday afternoon. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back to the show. It's uh, it's Monday afternoon. You and I spent the morning going through the All-22. We went through the film to watch how the Eagles were able to shut down the L.A. Rams and, and beat this 11-2 and squad on the road to stay alive here in the playoff hunt in the NFC. And uh, let's start really on offense, where I think that's where a lot of people want to hear your thoughts on Nick Foles and his performance. So after going back and watching the film, what were some of your takeaways watching Nick in his first start since week two? I thought that he was efficient. Uh, you know, I've watched the Rams defense every week, and I'm sure many Eagles fans have not been real familiar with the Rams defense other than seeing a statistical breakdown. But this is a defense, very surprisingly, because Wade Phillips coordinates it, that has has had all kinds of issues this season as far as being lined up properly, as far as uh, just giving up basic things that you shouldn't be giving up. And they struggled with all that again against the Eagles. Uh, you know, we broke down a play, just as an example. We broke down a play uh, last night. Uh, the Sproul 17-yard run, I believe it was on the first, Was that? it was on a field goal drive, I believe. But the Sproul 17-yarder, yep. they had no one in the A or B gaps. Yeah. You know, and, and they've had those kinds of issues all season long. And like I said, very, very surprising. So putting it in that context, I thought Nick Foles was very efficient. Um, he made a few tough throws, but for the most part, it was the short game and it was pitch and catch. And, uh, you know, that's after watching it, that's the way I felt. 
Yeah, it was interesting because you know the, early on, the, the, clearly they had some downfield shots to Alshon Jeffrey. You had the you know the deep post that went for fifty yards. You had the the dagger route, the the, the dig from Alshon that went for thirty six. You had the fade on the backside of a three by one that went for twenty six. I mean, you had some of those shot plays, those you know those X plays in the passing game for Alshon. But outside of that, I agree, it was really kind of catch and release for Nick Foles. You know, the yeah. ball came out quickly. You did have a couple RPOs in there, but honestly. Those didn't even work out all the well. A lot of it was just, you know what, drop back and the ball's coming out. I'm going to let my guy go make a play. Yeah, I mean, the thing that really stood out to me the most watching the tape was their approach with Aaron Donald. Uh, you know, I thought that they clearly had a plan for how to deal with Aaron Donald. And I thought it was really, really effective. I mean, what they did, uh, I thought, was in the... Um, uh, in the quick game throws, they did not double team him. They were not concerned because he wasn't going to get there anyway in the quick game throws. And there were a lot of quick game throws in this offense. Uh, and then when they had either deeper drops or uh, I thought that they, they clearly then had Kelsey because he was uncovered most of the time. Uh, Kelsey would clearly work toward Donald and they would double team him. And he was not a factor at all when it came to uh, the pass rush. Yeah, I agree with you. And in the run game, obviously, one of the things that we saw, you mentioned that Darren Sproles play, that was a tackle trap play where, uh, you know, you had Lane Johnson coming around to block him. We saw a couple of wham plays where Dallas Goddard was used to block Aaron Donald. So they found other ways to account for him in the run game as well. No question. Uh, You know, it was, I thought that while the running numbers weren't phenomenal, I thought that they ran the ball effectively, um, and they clearly ran the ball well when they got inside the uh, the 10-yard line, and I think that's a place where good teams that score, it's always easy to talk about route designs in the red zone, whether it's a tight red zone or high red zone, and we spent a lot of time last year talking about that because they were so good at that, but I think another element of red zone offense is the ability to be able to run the ball in, particularly in the tighter red zone, and they did that three times, and they were all similar similar plays um, out of that uh, 12 close to the boundary slot to the field, uh, and, and they were all effective. They were all really well blocked. You know, and just going back to the passing game, it, it's been interesting just to kind of – I haven't read through everything. It's still – it's you know, it's 5 o'clock on Monday. I haven't read through everything that's been written about the game and I haven't you know, listened to everything, but – you know, just a, a sense of some of the narratives that I, I've been able to kind of follow along was, you know, obviously that look when you look at the overall targets and everything and how everything was dispersed offensively in the passing game. Uh, clearly, the you know the ball was was spread around much better. You saw Alshon was involved. Golden Tate had a handful of catches. Uh, the running backs were involved in the passing game. The tight both tight ends were involved. It wasn't super super focused on Zach Ertz, but. On the other hand, there also there were a handful of plays where uh, you know Ertz was targeted. I mean, he had a couple touchdown opportunities down there in the red zone. That you know, on the one drive where they had to settle for a field goal, the very first play was actually for the very first play from uh, from scrimmage was an RPO that was a busted play. I'm not sure exactly uh, what Nick was looking at, but it looked like he was looking to the left and Ertz was open to the right. No receivers were looking to the left, so either receivers were wrong or Ertz was wrong. Which play are you talking about? The very first play of the game that you know Nick Foles ended up running for a three yard. Games. Oh yes, 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 yes. Well, it's funny because the second play of the game, they went, they went with their mesh concept, right? 
and and to me, and I don't know how you felt about it. I think Foles missed that, and the, the it ended up being Ertz. a ten-yard gain to Goddard. But he missed that. He, he should have hit Ertz on the sit route. He had time; he was wide open. And you know, Nick does that on occasion, uh, probably more than he should, where he misses the throw that's there and then moves around. Yeah, and he had, they ran one a little bit later. It was the same deal. You know, Ertz was on, you know open on the sit route, uh, and the ball got checked down to to uh, Wendell Smallwood. That was the one where uh, Marcus Peters got flagged for that personal foul just shy of the first down marker and the Eagles ended up yep. obviously getting the conversion. Very well. Yeah, so I you know I think that people are kind of running with that because it kind of fits what the what they're looking for in terms of all, oh, you know, Zach Ertz didn't get all the targets, you know, that's the big difference between Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Look, Nick Foles is more than willing to throw the ball to to Zach Ertz. I mean, we've seen uh not just in the Super Bowl but earlier this season uh over the course of their career together. Uh I don't know that it's like this wholesale uh you know, philosophical change when you go from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles in the passing game, and I—that's I, that was at least one of my takeaways. You know, just watching. Yeah, and, and as you know, I said earlier, there were just too many plays where I was trying to figure out what the Rams' defense was doing. <laughs> you no know, like even the long pass to um, Alshon Jeffrey. Yes. You know, where Jeffrey and Aguilar clearly there was a mistake there because they basically were right next to one another. I don't know what the safety was doing there. Yeah, it seemed like he was maybe reading Ertz running that intermediate. You know, we've seen Ertz run that route so many times yeah, where he's going to break across. He stopped yeah. as the deep defender, yes. and you can never allow as the deep defender anybody to get behind you, and he he let two people get behind <laughs> him. So, uh, you know, that's the kinds of things the Rams have been doing all season long, and those are the kinds of plays. Look, it's good for the Eagles, but... You know, as someone who's a little bit of a purist, as I know you are, we enjoy the tactics of the game and the scheming of the game. I don't know what box to put those kinds of plays in. Yeah, it's uh – Look, it was a game that the Eagles needed to win, and they went on the road and they won, and they you know were able to put up big points, and that was great. Uh, they have to continue to build off of this. You know, Doug Peterson has already announced Nick Foles will be the starter this week against the Houston Texans. What are the areas where you're hoping you know maybe some some additional growth from Nick uh, going into this second start here? Um, I mean, you know, again, that's a hard question to answer. He's played a good number of games in the NFL. And I think that one of the things that we've always seen with Nick is he can be very, very good and he can play really efficiently and make really good throws. And then he can also really struggle and it's hard to pinpoint why, but, uh, there's always been somewhat of a wide variance in his play, and that's that's been the concern. So when he's good, and we saw when he was good last year down the stretch and in the, the playoff games, certainly the final two playoff games, uh, he can be very good. But you, you're sometimes you're not certain as to what, what, what Nick Foles you'll get, and then I think some of that becomes a function of the pressure that's put on him. And I think this week against Houston. Uh, they'll face a team that can put more pressure on him than uh, than the Rams could. So before we move to the defense, anything else offensively that you kind of felt strongly about or there was an interesting takeaway for you coming out of this game? Uh no, I mean, look, it it was they they had some really good field position at times. Um you know, so I think that really helped, but you know, I I didn't I came away from watching the tape feeling like they their offense was was efficient, but not, nothing where I went, wow, they really did some great things on offense. I mean, you saw a lot of repeat plays, yep. and that could be a function of the fact that Nick Foles, even though he's been around and knows the system, is still making his first start since week two, and you know, you sort of want to get back out there and get him comfortable mentally, but they repeated a lot of plays. 
Doug Peterson did say at his press conference that you know that he and Mike Groh got together early in the week, even before uh, the diagnosis with Carson Wentz, and that they said you know they wanted to get back to basics with the game plan, go back to things that had worked for them in the past, not just earlier this year, but in years past. So didn't shock me at all to when I after watching that or hearing that and then watching the film you know you see you saw a handful of mesh plays you saw dagger a couple of yep. times in this game which we hadn't really seen uh, you saw some different three level stretches heavy reliance on inside zone we saw that inside zone wind back the inside zone counter play a couple different times yeah I mean, you saw the stuff that they did go back to base it's funny you mentioned dagger because I thought he missed dagger earlier in the game yeah. on third and ten yep. uh, you know again that was a zone coverage and Jeffrey broke inside and was open on the dig, and Foles got impatient, and he threw it to Tate for seven yards. You know, I thought he had dagger. Um, but, uh, you know, and the pick he threw was actually the same play from the week before that that uh, Wentz hit Dallas Goddard for 26 yards. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. It, it was is the exact it was the same, same play. play. It was the boundary flood concept. And, and um, you know, the field was tighter on this particular one. And Tlaib, who happens to be very good at reading routes anyway, did not run with Aguilar. I thought Aguilar didn't really push it the way he should have, but he sat there and, and Nick threw it based on that's the play call, threw it with timing, and Tlaib was sitting there. Yeah, I think you and I kind of saw the the offensive performance in general. Just I think we saw it pretty much the same. But uh, let's go to the defensive side. You know, a lot of good takeaways from that side as well. Obviously, look the the LA Rams. They're struggling right now. Over the last few weeks, uh, offensively, uh, what was a juggernaut to start the year and really going back to last season uh, has struggled a little bit. Jared Goff has not looked comfortable. He's not looked confident. Uh, And the defensive line, I thought, really set the tone early because, look, he struggled last week against Chicago and that front. Very first third down, Michael Bennett beats the right guard, gets in the back of the lane, just destroys Jared. It just explodes into his chest and drives him into the dirt. Uh, that's, I mean, well, that kind of set the tone, I think, for what Goff could expect for the rest of the afternoon. Oh, yeah, that was the, the first third and long. I mean, he just laid the wood to Goff as he released the ball. Yeah. Um, but I think their old line has struggled a bit. I think that Goff has really struggled. Again, I've watched Goff. People might have seen the Rams game because it was a national, excuse me, the Bears game because it was a national TV game. But I've watched every one of their games, and this goes back well before the Bears game. Goff has not been sharp for a good month, maybe even a little more. I don't think he's seeing things particularly clearly. He's to me, he's primarily a timing and rhythm primary read passer. Yeah. And and right now he's struggling to get a clear picture. I thought he missed some things that were there. You know, I know we watched the game last night and Chris Collinsworth spent a lot of time talking about the Eagles approach playing some zone and rushing four, you know, which is essentially what they did. They mixed in some blitz here and there, but it was predominantly a four man D line rush with predominant zone coverage concepts behind it. And you know they're not the first team to do that to the Rams. You know, uh, so you know people might get the feeling, well, this is the profile. Here's how you do it. This they're not the first team to do that, as you well know, Fran. I mean, there were there were some throws that were there that Goff, for whatever reason, did not turn it loose. Yeah, and even the ones he did turn loose were you know just off the mark. I mean, he, no missed, he, missed, he missed a couple of touchdowns. He uh, he had the two minute drill late in the first half where I mean he didn't. It, they had three shots of the end zone and not one of them was catchable. The same thing late in the game. I mean, uh, didn't do his receivers any favors. For no, sure. I mean even the Maddox interception, a great play by Avanta Maddox. No one's arguing the quality of the play. Again, I don't know the answer to this, and and. 
Goff and, and, and McVeigh are not going to tell you, but I, I wonder why he threw it to, to, to uh, I guess it was Reynolds. I thought that given the, the nature of the play and the design and mechanics of the play with the run action and getting all those interior defenders to, to be a little discombobulated, he had Cooks wide open on the deep dig. And I see, to me, watching them earlier in the year, that's where the ball would have gone. Yeah, and clearly just not comfortable. And I think from a defensive standpoint, you look at Michael Bennett and you look at Fletcher. Fletcher Cox was ridiculous. Fletcher Cox, I mean, he was he was he had many dominant snaps in this game. Yeah, I mean, he's he's continued that that really strong stretch of, of elite level play. Uh, I mean, he had the sack on the TT stunt. We don't see many TT stunts from the Eagles. They they got a sack there uh, on one late in the first half, but also a number of big hits on the quarterback plays in the run game. You saw high motor plays in the screen game. Uh, really just showed off how he's the total package at defensive tackle. No question. He, uh, yeah, and and like I said, some of his snaps were just really dominant. I remember one where he just blew up Sullivan, I think it was. There was no, it didn't turn out to be a sack, but I mean, he just pushed him literally right to the ground. Yeah, uprooted him with one arm. It was a exactly, bit yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think when you look at uh, the rest of that defensive line, so look, uh, no Tim Jernigan, you know, Chris Long is chi- chiming in there off the edge. BG uh, is starting to kind of round into form. But, you know, you're seeing a lot of reps from Trayvon Hester. You're seeing a lot of reps from Bruce Hector. Uh, Deshaun Hall, who was signed last week, came in and gave, gave some good snaps, I thought, uh, in the run game. It's interesting that, you know, you look at – there was one snap in particular, Greg. It, was a, it went for like a three-yard gain in the run game. I think it was like the, the 12th play of the game or the 10th play of the game. You look, you look on the field, and at defensive, right defensive end, you've got Deshaun Hall. The D-tackles are Yeah, Bruce you know Hector. what? I didn't even realize he was on the roster, and I'm watching the tape and seeing number 74 because I remember liking him coming out of college. Yeah, and I know and I he's been around him. the league a little bit, so it hasn't worked out. But he played defensive end, as you well know, opposite Miles Garrett. Yeah. And, and he... he Six five two seventy five, really good body. I don't know what will happen here in Philadelphia. You know, he was obviously brought in because they've had injuries and they just need bodies. But, boy, I thought that kid had a chance. Yeah, I thought he had a chance too. But that's what I mean. It's like you look at who was out there for chunks of this game, and it's Deshaun Hall, it's Trayvon Hester, it's Bruce Hector, it's Nate Gary, it's yep. Craven LeBlanc, it's Corey Graham playing 100% of the snaps last night. I think, you know, if you had said this back in August, like, hey, they were, the Eagles are going to go on the, on the road Take on an 11-2 and Rams team, shut down Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, beat this team on the road in a must-win situation with guys that are playing significant snaps. I think you would have found that hard to believe, and I think that's a testament uh, to this coaching staff. Without question. I mean, say what you want about anything about this game, but that they went on the road playing the Rams. Now, Rams team was struggling, no question. But, you know, three, four weeks ago, people were talking about the Rams as being a Super Bowl representative and hey they still could be they could get it fixed and turned around I mean that was a huge win both sides of the ball played well Um, you know we talked about the offense they did what they had to do and defensively I thought they were very very good I mean the D-line was really good and Michael Bennett continued his strong play we talked about Fletcher Cox Um, you know and and when you look at it you you know someone like Cravion LeBlanc he probably played every snap yeah, close to it. Yeah. I mean, they were pretty much, you know, in, in 11 personnel, the Rams were on every play. So, I mean, you're, you know, and they, they rotated uh, Nate Gary and, and um, Grugier Hill. So, you know, they, they both sort of had a breather. And as you said, Bradham, I mean, that's, 
that's two weeks in a row. Bradham's played a ton of snaps. Yeah, I and mean, they played 99 snaps or whatever it was, 100 snaps the week before, and then coming out they played 70 plus this week. So uh, this is a defense that that's feeling it. They've got that's why they're rotating as many bodies as they are, and, the, and these guys are coming up, showing up. They can play. Let me ask you about Avante Max. You mentioned the interception, which was awesome. Uh, the guy has started at his third now, third different position now this year. Started at the slot, uh, started at safety, and now starting at left corner. What did you think from him in his first game back? You know what? I thought he played well. I mean, I thought, you know, even early in the game, I thought it was the first third and long, the third and 11, when they were in, um, I believe, cover six, but he, but it was cover two to his side of the field. Yeah. You probably remember this yeah. play. Yeah. Um, I thought he did an outstanding job because essentially he was a cover two corner because it was cover two to that. That was the half side of the field, which was the boundary side. And I thought he did a great job sinking underneath the corner route by Reynolds because the Rams ran that flat seven combination. And normally that flat seven combination beats cover two. And, and he got underneath that and tipped it. I mean, right from that first third and long, I thought he was aware. He understood his responsibilities. I thought he played well. Yeah, I mean, his competitiveness shows up in everything that he does. And look, he looks like, I'm not going to say that he's going to be Darrell Rivas, but he looks like he's going to be a good part of this secondary for a long time. He does, he does look yeah, like he's going to keep Yeah, I mean, you part. know, you and I both liked him coming out of Pitt. You know, obviously he played outside at Pitt, and we thought, hey, he's a slot guy because of his size. Certainly there are corners who are 5'9", five, 5'10", five, who have played well in the NFL over the years, like a Brent Grimes has been a solid starter, even better than that when he was in his prime. So who knows where that goes. Uh, but I thought he played well last night. Any other uh, takeaways from the defense before we move on to this uh, Houston Texans team? Uh, no, I just thought it was a really, you know, solid. I mean, they clearly chose to play a certain way. Uh, you know, obviously Jim Schwartz was going to rush for. He was going to play predominant zone, mix in a few things here and there just to make sure that he changed it up. But, uh, you know, I thought given the approach, when you play like that, you put your burden on the D-line. Because if they can't generate pressure, it becomes difficult for the secondary. And I thought they were really able to generate pressure. He probably knew watching the tape that Jared Goff has been playing a little fast and a little hurried lately. And so, you know, that combined the pressure combined with the way Goff's been playing really got Goff, even when there were some throws available to either check it down or throw it shorter. And other than a few plays, the touchdown comes to mind to Reynolds later in the game, but other than a few plays, got, they were not really hitting the ball you know, down the field, even at the intermediate levels. Yeah, it was a really, really good performance from this Eagles defense, and they're going to need a repeat performance against this Houston team that, look, they're not putting up chunks of yardage the way that the Rams have over the course of the season, but a team that can move the football, they've got some talent uh, really at really all of those key skill positions. Let's start uh, at the quarterback spot, and Deshaun Watson, in his second year, I'm going to talk about him a little bit later in the show, my notes on him coming out of Clemson, but... A guy, honestly, Greg, and, I, and look, it's it's week sixteen now, and you know, watched a good amount of football. Of the starting quarterbacks I've watched this year, I got to say that he's probably the most high variance. You mentioned that earlier with Nick Foles, the, you know, where you get the good, you get the bad. I feel like Deshaun Watson's almost in that same boat, where you see some plays where the good is really, really good. And the bad is really, really bad. And he's just got to try and find, uh, even if it's a happy medium, obviously you want more of the good. But, uh, he look, he's doing enough to the point where they're winning a lot of games and you got to give him a lot of credit. But uh, certainly not exactly what you would want to see in terms of his development yet to this point. 
No, and, and I think you and I both agree that when we look at Deshaun Watson, we're isolating him, his play as an individual. The team is winning games. Is he a part of that? Absolutely. But there's many reasons why teams win and lose. So because he's the quarterback on a winning team, the assumption is that he's playing great football. And you couldn't be more right. I mean, there's a looseness to his game. There's an undisciplined nature to his game. He's an erratic player. Um, you know, he, to be fair, through much of this season, he's been playing behind a poor O-line. It's an O-line that's still not real good, but it's getting incrementally better. Um, but he's not at the point in his development where he can compensate for an, a, a, a less-than-average O-line or camouflage its weaknesses. Uh, there's way too many snaps where he just drops back, never even plants his back foot, and just starts to move around. And, you know, he's... yeah. You could argue the strength of his game is his ability to make second reaction plays, which is all well and good. But, again, then you get into that debate about whether that's the way you can play quarterback in the NFL over time. Yeah, I mean, the most frustrating part of his game, for sure, has been the sacks. I mean, uh, watching it. Way been, too many, and many are his fault. Yeah, I mean, they like you know you, they had the one on the opening drive in the red zone this past week against New York where they were running some kind of mesh play, and, and he wanted to get rid of the football to DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins wasn't looking at the time, uh, so he ended up eating it and then, then take the sack. And they're, they, they're sacked more in the red zone than any team in the NFL. They're sacked more than any team in period in the NFL. But when you look at Watson, I think a lot of those sacks are on him. I agree. It was, it was funny. Ben Fennel uh, pulled together an interesting stat, and he tweeted this. It was uh, He said, pretty amazing. They, Deshaun Watson sacked six times. The Texans were one for, one of nine on third down. They're one of four in the red zone. Yep. They're outgained time of possession by ten minutes, but they win the game. That's that's Texans football yeah, at this point. I mean, and it's that's interesting. kind of the way it is. I mean, you know, they've been like that. But one thing that's stood out in this game against the Jets, I'm sure you saw it, but they've also done it throughout the year, is they're trying to protect him. And I think they realize that they have to do that. So they have a number of what we call seven-man protection concepts where there's a full slide or a full turn by the O-line, and they'll have a back or a tight end and work the front side or the back side. So it ends up being a seven-man protection concept because they are trying. And, in fact, they did that on the Hopkins 45-yard touchdown this week. Yeah, and one key for that to keep an eye on is if the Eagles, if that happens and the Eagles are in man coverage. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That's, you almost want to play man against that because the green dog is so well set up. Yep, so basically what you know, Greg is alluding to is if, you know, if you're a linebacker or a safety and you're in man-to-man coverage against the back or the tight end and you see that those guys are st- staying in the block, now you insert yourself into the pressure. You now become a blitzer in that scheme, and that prevents those double teams on the backside. You mentioned the full slide protection one way, and you get a double team full uh, running back tight end on a defensive end, say it's Michael Bennett. Well, now if you get a safety or a linebacker yep. at Green Dogs, that double team is gone, and you've got Michael Bennett one-on-one with a, a running back or a tight end, and that's a matchup you're going to take every day. Or else you get someone like Malcolm Jenkins, who then theoretically is not accounted for in the protection, you know, uh, green-dogging and, and adding into the rush because he, maybe he's benched on the tight end and, and no one accounts for him. Yeah, it's uh, that certainly would be one thing to keep an no, eye on. That, that, you make a great point. That's the whole point. <clears throat> Teams that, that do that, if you can play man coverage, and again, we'll see if the Eagles decide to do that. They they may, they may not, but if they do, that always is a possibility. I, you know, it's funny, just going back, because my, my mind works this way, I remember the Carolina Panthers did a ton of that the year they won. They got to the Super Bowl. Right. And I remember yep. they played the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, and the Broncos were a, were a high percentage man defense. And so when they did when Carolina did that in the Super Bowl, the Broncos just attacked, and it mm-hmm. caused big problems because those those rushers weren't accounted for. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've seen. We've seen in the past because Washington tends to do that as well. Uh, so we've seen that with, over the course of time with, uh, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, I know, uh, had a big part in that last year, uh, opened up a sack for Derek Barnett, I believe the first time the two teams played. Um, yeah, I remember we talked about that play. Yeah, so it's uh, certainly something to watch here with this team. But uh, let's get to the rest of this offense. Look, the offensive line, Pretty average to below average unit, I would say, overall. Probably a little bit worse than that by NFL standards. But I think when you look at the skill talent, uh, look, it, it starts with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he's one of the best receivers in football. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. And, and then you have to decide how you want to play against him. See, that's the thing because, look, we know that they can't match up to him one-on-one you know, if they're going to play man outside the numbers. Uh, he predominantly aligns outside the numbers. He will come inside at times. Very often in the red zone, he'll come in the inside slot. Um, but outside, when he lines up outside the numbers, the Eagles are going to have a decision to make as to how they want to handle him. What are, you, what are your thoughts on how Demarius Thomas has kind of been worked into the offense? They lose Will Fuller a few, you know, a couple months ago to injury, so they go and they trade for Demarius Thomas. What have, what have you seen with number eighty-seven? Uh, I think he's been up and down, but I thought this week he worked outside. You know, they they like to work outside the numbers, and they're comfortable doing that one-on-one. They feel like they have big receivers who can make contested catches. We know about Hopkins. Um, but I think they feel Thomas is that guy as well. You know, they did that a little this week against the Jets. So. I'm not sure the Eagles would be real comfortable. Keep in mind, if Avante Maddox is the outside corner again, we know he's feisty and competitive, and we like him, but, you know, he's 5'9", or 5'10". So, you know, I would imagine the Eagles would probably still play a lot of zone coverage. And then they have the rookie slot receiver, Kiki Kuti, who has been inactive. I know he's been dealing with some injuries, uh, but they signed DeAndre Carter, who was uh, recently released by the Eagles. Yeah, former Eagle. Yeah, he had a good week this week. You know, he's... He's kind of shows up a little bit on tape. Yeah, I mean, you know, a guy that obviously Eagles fans are familiar. He's got a little bit of juice to him. He can offer uh, some things after the catch, and he and he's made plays for this Houston Texans offense um, without question. And then you the go. Run game's been a little troublesome the last couple of weeks. I guess we don't know about Lamar Miller as we yeah. speak now. They had a real nice stretch of running the ball very, very well, and then the last two weeks that stopped, and they've been really unable to run the ball the last two weeks. It seems to me mostly zone run game. They will, they'll mix in some yep. power here and there, but it seems mostly zone run mostly zone when Miller was running well and Miller was on track until last week for about 1200 plus yards which probably a lot of people weren't aware of that won't happen now certainly if he misses a game but uh, they had run the ball very nicely for about five six weeks in a row there and then they, one thing, a hallmark of Bill O'Brien has always been how he uses the tight ends. And you look at Ryan Griffin, uh, Jordan Akins, a rookie at number 88, and another rookie, Jordan Thomas, number 83. All three of those guys are a big part of the offense. They'll mix in multiple well, tight end sets and, and do different things with those guys. Keep in mind, and maybe it's a function of, the, of their – they haven't really felt real comfortable with a third wide out this year, Will Fuller getting hurt, Coutte not being available regularly. But they've lined up with two tight ends more than any team in the league by far. Almost 50% of their snaps have had 12 personnel on the field. Uh, speaking of, we didn't really mention this, but the Eagles were in, I think they were in 12 personnel, uh, I want to say it was 61% of the time this past week. Uh, 50% last week, so that went up uh, this week against, uh, against yeah, the Yeah, you and I were talking about that watching the game. Yeah, that's something you, you and I will be talking about that in uh, yeah. weeks to come. All right, so let's, uh, let's get to this Houston defense because uh, a very fun group to study, a lot of different wrinkles to what they do from a pressure standpoint. 
Yeah, that's where they're real. Well, first of all, they've got really good people up front. So you've got to start with their front seven. They have really good people. So even if they're in their base 3-4, in other words, depending on how they choose to play the Eagles 12 personnel, even if they go base, they still have very good people. But where they really are difficult is when they, you know, even if the Eagles have 12 personnel on the field on third and eight, the, the um, Texans won't be in their base. <laughs> They'll be in their, their some sub, whether it's nickel or dime. And in, in nickel and dime, they are really multiple with their front looks, with their alignments, with the way they move people around. Jadavion Clowney, Whitney Merciless, even Bernardrick McKinney. I mean, they move them all around. You don't know exactly where they're going to line up. Very often they line up in what they call their diamond front, which is five across, yep. which immediately dictates one-on-one protection pre-snap because they're right in front of you, and you can't change your protection in the middle of the play. So they can rush five from that. They can rush four. They can rush three. They can rush two. They can stunt. You know, they can play games. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on there with what they do in their nickel and dime fronts. And you say, you know, they'll rush four, they'll rush three, they'll rush two, and people may say, oh, you know, Oh, wow, they're going to do a three-man rush. They're going to do a two-man rush. No, this isn't like a a passive uh, prevent look. This is they're going to line up multiple guys in the line of scrimmage. You have no idea who's going to come. So even though it's a two-man rush, even though it's a three-man rush, those guys are getting one-on-one looks. You're getting favorable matchups for J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney, and it still creates pressure, and you're now adding extra guys into coverage doing that as well. Without question, and they do such a good job with that. And the thing is, particularly, that I would imagine you'll see that versus the Eagles, because at their core, Nick Foles and the Eagles' pass game is pretty much short to intermediate. I mean, well, they take a shot like every team does, you know, and if it presents itself, yeah, they'll throw it down the field. But they're not really a deep passing team. So I think they're going to try to get a good feel for the route concepts of the Eagles, certainly with Zach Gertz, and then you know, try to take away some of those things by by dropping, showing pressure, you know, maybe forcing a certain kind of protection and then dropping people out. Yeah, I mean, they force a lot of turnovers. They're sixth in takeaways. They're third in the turnover differential overall on the season. So this is a group that... uh, And they're really good against the run. I mean, so that's the other thing. They're not an easy team to run against. And it's uh, people may say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're, they've got a great winning record. They're not, they're not a team that's blowing people out. So this isn't like, oh, they get up big and no one runs on them. They, they, they are very stout up front. Yeah, and they're, it's because their offense is very up and down. They're not winning games 40 to you know, 10. Yes. I mean, their, their offense can be very inconsistent, and, uh, but their defense is, you know, I think, can their corners at times be had? Yes, um, but, you know, their, their front group, you know, and that includes the linebackers, is really good. I found an interesting stat today. We were getting ready. We were uh, putting the show show together for Eagles game plan. Uh, ben Fennell and I were getting things ready, and, you know, I'm trying to decide on one of our segments, and, you know the the Houston Texans. They're one of the best in terms of allowing big plays. They're, I think they're number three right now in allowing uh, touchdowns of twenty plus, and they're I think number six in allowing plays of twenty plus in the passing game. So by volume, they're not allowing big plays. But right. when you look at uh, the success, the quarterback rating on, on throws of twenty plus. They're like 29th or 30th. So the teams, when they've got time and they do take their shots, have been successful. But it seems that the the attempts are not there. And I wonder if that has a lot to do with that rush and those guys you mentioned. Oh, it absolutely does. They're, they're, they're difficult. They're, and, and the pressure is really going to be on Brandon Brooks. And uh, if it's Wisniewski again at, at left guard, because that's where Clowney works. That's where Merciless works. I mean, you know, they bring those guys inside. What do you think of, Clow- of uh, Jadavion Clowney so far in his career? Well, I think they found out how he's best used. He's not an edge player. 
he doesn't have the bend, he doesn't have the flexibility. He'll line up there on occasion, and every once in a while he can beat a tackle, but he's not a true edge pass rusher. He's much more effective as a power pass rusher, and he can get inside of guards, and with his power and velocity and sort of just pure strength leverage, he, he, he really works well inside. Do you think if they had, if you had to do a redraft of that of that year, would he go? Uh, you know, top three, top five is still at this point, or do you think? Um, well, certainly Mac was in that draft, and Mac would go ahead of him. Khalil right. Mack's a much better edge player, a more dis- disruptive, destructive player than Jadavion Clowney. But I think they found a way, given who they have too. I mean, they have J.J. Watt, they have Merciless. You know, they've got good players around him. But this is, to me. And it's funny because when he came out, I thought he was really more of an inside pass rusher, and that's the way they see him clearly. Right. I mean, and that was that was a silly draft class. I mean, that was yeah. like the uh, you know Aaron Donald was in that class. All those crazy receivers. I mean, that was a, that was a big time group. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a very good defense. I think that's the strength of this team. So that uh, you know that creates a, a big matchup. That's really the matchup to watch in this game. This Eagles offense with Nick Foles under center going up against you know Jadavian Clowney, JJ Watt. Uh, real quickly on on Watt because you talked about how he's used. And what is it that makes him so good? What are, what are the hallmarks of JJ Watt's game in your eyes? I think his hands are phenomenal, ridiculous, and his quickness. I think those two things. He does things that you actually shouldn't do when he when he tries to go, you know, try to hit gaps. But his hands are so quick, and his quickness allows him to do what he does. But I think his his hand usage, and when I say hand usage, I don't mean hand usage in terms of shoving guys and moving guys. I mean swim move, you know, those kinds of moves, quickness of hands, yeah. you know, th- those kinds of things. He's so good at that. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup here. Obviously, a big one for the Eagles, the home finale uh, in the regular season here at Lincoln Financial Field. Greg and I, you'll be watching uh, the game together here on Sunday afternoon. We'll be doing our breakdowns that you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. And of course, we'll be back here next week on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Greg, thank you, sir. We'll see you Sunday and we'll talk to you here next week. Appreciate it, Fran. Thanks. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support our show, but the other is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us a comment. We got a great comment this week from Norwegian Eagle, who left a five-star review and a comment on our Stitcher page and here's the comment your your guys analysis really helps me get a deeper understanding of the game i live in norway and grew up here playing football or as you would call it soccer so i don't have the same understanding of the different concepts on offense and defense as i guess americans do norwegian eagle appreciate the comment thank you for listening each week and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on philadelphiaeagles.com all right let's keep this show going earlier i told you we would dive into texans quarterback deshaun watson as i reveal my notes on him coming out of clemson last year he is the subject this week in our scouting report dim those lights we're headed to the film room for the scouting report all right, so Deshaun Watson, 6'2 221 pounds, a little bit undersized. He was a two-time Heisman Trophy finalist, two-time All-American, won the Davey O'Brien Award as a sophomore. This was a big-time guy, two-and-a-half-year starter for Dabo Swinney in that shotgun spread offense there at Clemson. Got direction from the sideline, but he did have some authority 
pre-snap with the ability to reset protections, especially later in his career. He was a good decision maker at Clemson. Didn't force throws in the coverage, but he wasn't afraid to turn it loose either. Loose either. He got some got through progressions quickly, had some full field reads in that scheme, and he did make some second window throws, and the ball consistently came out before the wide receiver got out of his break. He knew when he was hot, and he showed the ability to burn the blitz. Just a very smart quarterback during his college career. Showed flashes of being able to throw from a muddy pocket, snapped the ball off that nice tight crisp release naturally a pretty accurate thrower especially in the quick and intermediate game made a lot of pinpoint passes on tape and consistently threw with good ball placement again especially in the quick game I thought he was a really effective touch thrower to all areas of the field from deep to short able to drive the football as well when needed and even though he didn't have a power arm he could make all of the throws I thought he threw one of the best deep balls in the class especially when you take his touch into account more than requisite arm strength along with that touch and anticipation made him one of the best shot play quarterbacks in that draft class. And he was also a threat, obviously, with his athleticism as a ball carrier. And that was something that needed to be accounted for. And that, From a negative standpoint, I thought, obviously, he was going to need to learn from work to, learn, to work from under center, was mostly a shotgun quarterback at Clemson. And he had issues at times, especially in his junior year, seeing underneath defenders in zone coverage. Through through some picks there uh, that were a little bit troublesome where he didn't see some players that maybe he I thought he should have was a little bit inconsistent overall in his final season on campus. Remember, a lot of people thought he was a shoe in to be the number one pick. Obviously, he ended up falling into the teens, but uh, the big thing that I was worried about, he took too many bad sacks. We just talked about that with Greg. At Clemson, I thought he took too many bad sacks, needed to know when to throw it away. He was a little bit skittish at times, a little bit frenetic. There were a lot of examples where he played a little bit too fast mentally and he also had some fumbling issues throughout his career. Overall, I wrote that he had the, the tools to be a starting quarterback, but my concerns were the learning curve coming from that system and the fact that he was a little bit up and down in his final year on campus, play a little bit too fast, a lot of forced things, may need some time and patience. I wouldn't plan to start him on day one. Well, proved me wrong because he came out day one last year and played pretty well for all intents and purposes before his injury. Like I said, I watching him this year, Look, I, he's been up and down, and I, I thought Watson would be a starter. While he certainly had his shares of ups and downs this year, like I said earlier with Greg, a little bit of a tough watch. He's been very high variance. I still definitely think he's the long-term guy in Houston. You know, they, they have to get him feeling a little bit more comfortable back there. That's the biggest difference I can tell you about from college to the NFL for Watson is his level of comfort. You know, at Clemson, well, there are times in his final season where he looked a little bit skittish. On the whole, I thought he was a confident passer. You know, those second window throws I talked about, those plays where you would hold a safety in the middle of the field and, you know, hit a vertical route down the sideline, those anticipation throws where he's manipulating players as well with pump fakes, with his eyes. Those are signs of a confident, comfortable quarterback. And there are flashes there with Deshaun. Like I said earlier, the goods are really, really good. The bads are just way too bad right now, and there's too much of that bad to get over the moon excited about where he is at at this stage of his career. That being said, he's absolutely a threat to change a game because of his arm and because of his legs. The Eagles need to keep him contained in the pocket, force him to read the defense, pick you apart under duress. That's where you need to figure out is can he do that against a good four-man rush. The Eagles' defensive line will need to come to play on Sunday afternoon in what will ultimately be another must-win game for this team. And then an extra layer to this evaluation, too, Think about the other quarterbacks that were in this class. You know, you had uh, Patrick Mahomes, who I was certainly down on. You know, I did not think that Mahomes would have this much success this early, 
and I think he did land in a great spot there with Andy Reid in Kansas City. They are leveraging the very best out of him. Never questioned Patrick Mahomes' talent. I mean, certainly one of the most physically gifted passers we've seen come out of college the last few years. But in terms of style of play, I felt more I felt more comfortable with Deshaun Watson than I did with Patrick Mahomes. But they have really reined him in, and he's playing very well within the structure of that offense out in Kansas City. So a little bit of a learning curve there, a learning experience there for me as an evaluator looking at the difference between my evaluation on those two guys coming from the same class. So great stuff there this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. One more time. Take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.